0: So we've been studying the Gospel of Luke together this year, and we've been calling this series, Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. That's because we've been following Jesus around as he moves through this book, and we've been paying attention to him, listening to what he says and watching what he does. And as we watch Jesus in action, and as we listen to him speak and teach, it is my prayer my hope that we would find Jesus captivating and compelling, but more that we would be made more certain of the things that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. That Jesus really is the Son of God, that He really is the promised Messiah and that He really is the Savior of the world and that He really is worth following even when following Him is hard. And, and it's hard now, isn't it, to follow Jesus during this pandemic when we can't get together as freely and as, and as often as we'd like to encourage one another. But I pray and that I hope that even when it's hard that we would continue to press on and to follow Jesus and to walk with Him because there is nothing Better than following Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, the title of today's sermon is Jesus Heals a Sick Woman and Raises a Dead Girl. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 40 to 56. But before we read, a few remarks. We're about to read the third story in a trilogy of stories that began in verse 22 of this chapter. Now in the first story, it was about Jesus calming a, a dangerous, life-threatening storm, which demonstrated that Jesus is the Lord of the, over the physical realm. And then in the second story, it was about Jesus casting out demons from a man who was possessed and dehumanized and tormented by demons, which demonstrated that Jesus is Lord over the spiritual realm as well. So Jesus is Lord is Lord over the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And today, in the third and climactic story, uh, we're going to read about Jesus healing a sick woman and even raising a dead girl back to life, thus demonstrating that Jesus is Lord even over disease and death. And all three of these stories serve one main purpose, to show us that Jesus is Lord over all of these things. He's the Lord over all the things that could threaten to destroy us. He's Lord over the physical realm. He's Lord over the spiritual realm. And he's Lord over demons, and he's Lord over death. He's Lord over everything that could possibly undo us and threaten us. And Jesus calls us, his readers, to believe this, that Jesus is the Lord over everything. And therefore, we can trust Jesus to keep us safe in and through all of these things because none of these things can truly harm us. And ultimately, we can trust Jesus to bring us safely home to his heavenly kingdom, even through a pandemic. So people of God, this is the word of our God. Please give it your careful attention from verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, uh, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter your faith has made you well go in peace while he was still speaking someone from the ruler's house came and said your daughter is dead do not trouble the teacher anymore but jesus on hearing this answered him do not fear only believe and she will be well And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In this third and climactic story, we really have two stories, don't we? There is a story within a story. And these two stories are connected. And the most obvious connection between these two stories is the use of the number 12. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old, and the bleeding woman had been sick for 12 years. You see, this woman had been suffering for as long as this young girl had been living. And the interruption that was caused by the middle story of the bleeding woman only served to heighten the drama of the larger story of the dying girl. So here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the request. Second, the interruption. And third, the impossible. First, the request. In verse 41, we're introduced to a man named Jairus. He was a ruler in the synagogue, which means that he was the one that was in charge of organizing and arranging and leading the worship service. So he would pick who would pray, and he would also pick who would read and preach God's word. So Jairus was a well-known, respected, important, and influential leader in his community. And we can also safely assume that Jairus is wealthy, that he had servants, because it is almost certain that it was one of his servants who came in verse 49 to tell him the devastating news of his daughter. So Jairus, this respected, influential, and wealthy ruler— comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, and he implores Jesus to come with him to his house because his daughter, his one and only daughter, who was only 12 years old, so young, she was dying. You see, in that moment, all of his titles, all of his social status, all of his influence, and all of his wealth meant nothing to him because none of those things could save the life of his daughter. And at that moment... Jairus was not a powerful ruler, but he was a helpless father who could do nothing for his dying daughter. Therefore, he ran to the feet of Jesus. He fell on his knees in front of Jesus, and he begged Jesus to come with him to his house to save his daughter's life. You see, as high as Jairus was, he was willing to come low. He humbled himself, and he begged Jesus to save his daughter now as a father of two daughters, and one of my daughters is only 15 years old, around the same age as Jairus' daughter, and I can tell you that a father will do anything to save his daughter's life. You see, if my Lizzie were dying, and if there was a man who had the power to save her life, I would do anything for him. To have him save my daughter's life, I would fall to my knees. I would beg him to save. I would offer all my money, everything that I owned my house, my car, everything that I have, I would offer to him. In fact, I would even offer my own life to be his servant for the rest of my life. If only he would save my daughter's life. And I would do all of that. Because I love my daughter. Because fathers love their daughters, and Jairus loved his only daughter. Jairus' daughter was a beloved daughter, and she had a father who loved her and who would do anything for her. I bet you that Jairus had never, ever gotten on his knees before another person ever before. But he was on his knees now in front of Jesus for his daughter. This respected, influential, and wealthy man who had power in every other area of his life was brought to the humbling realization that he was absolutely powerless to save his daughter's life. And so he humbled himself, and he came begging to the one, the only one who could save his daughter's life. I want you to see how much Jairus loved his daughter. Jairus' daughter was a beloved daughter and jesus moved with compassion for this desperate father agreed to his request and he began to go to jairus's house now as i mentioned before in in previous sermons uh, luke loves to use pairs he loves to use male and female pairs especially pairing rich and powerful men with poor and powerless women do you remember in, back in chapter 7, Luke paired a rich and powerful centurion with a sick servant with a poor and powerless widow with a dead son? And now in chapter 8, Luke pairs a rich and powerful synagogue ruler who had a 12-year-old daughter with a poor and vulnerable woman who had a 12-year-old disease. Now, I'm going to talk more about this poor and vulnerable woman in my next point. But for now, I want you to notice this. King Jesus calls and welcomes everyone into his kingdom, both men and women, both the powerful and the powerless, both the rich and the poor, both the privileged and the vulnerable, both the socially elite and the socially excluded. Because of the special attention that Jesus gives to the poor in the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of Luke, some have wrongly concluded that the kingdom of God is only for the poor, and that the rich and powerful are excluded from the kingdom of God. But the example of Agyrus today proves that the rich and the powerful are not excluded from the kingdom of God. But, listen to this but because it's very important. For the rich and the powerful to enter into the kingdom of God, they must, like Jairus, humble themselves. They must confess their desperate need, fall to their knees at the feet of Jesus, and put their faith and trust in Jesus, just like Jairus did. And at the same time, The kingdom of God does not automatically include all the poor and all the vulnerable. They too must come to Jesus. They too must fall at Jesus' feet. They too must put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as this bleeding woman did. When it comes to entering into the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're rich or poor, if you're powerful or powerless, if you're a social insider or a social outsider. What matters is this, that you recognize your need for Jesus and you come to him and you put your faith and trust in him because you realize that you cannot save yourself, because you realize that nothing you have or nothing you could ever do can ever save you. You see, in other words, it's the humble who are in the kingdom of God, and it's the proud who exclude themselves from the kingdom of God. You see, friends, there are many humble, rich people who are in the kingdom, and there are many proud, poor people who exclude themselves. So let me ask you today, are you humble? Your gender, your race, your social status, your career accomplishments, your popularity, none of those things matter. None of those things will either help you get into the kingdom or hurt you from getting into the kingdom. What matters is this, your humility. That's what matters. As long as you're humble and as long as you trust Jesus to save and deliver you because you realize you can't deliver yourself, then you're in the kingdom of God. Whether you're a rich and powerful man with a well-known name or a poor and vulnerable woman with no name. Jairus and the unnamed woman We're at the opposite ends of the spectrum in every way, weren't they? Physically, socially, financially, spiritually, in every way possible, they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. And yet, Jesus loved them both, and Jesus invites them both into his kingdom. And that means everyone who is in between Jairus and this unnamed woman, we all fall in the spectrum somewhere in between them all of us can enter into the kingdom as well as long as we humble ourselves and put our faith and trust in Jesus like Jairus did and this bleeding woman did. Next, we have the interruption. The interruption. So Jesus granted Jairus' request, and he went with Jairus to his house in order to save his dying daughter's life. And as we, and as we can imagine, Jairus is probably in the greatest hurry of his life. I bet you he wanted to run all the way back to his house with Jesus running beside him. But because of all the people that followed and surrounded Jesus, because of all the people that were pressing in on Jesus, they couldn't move as fast as Jairus wanted How frustrated Jairus must have been because of all the people that were getting in his way. And to make things even worse, their already painfully slow progress was brought to a complete stop because of an interruption. You see, in the sea of people that surrounded Jesus, there was a woman who had been sick for a long time. For 12 long years. And her disease impacted her in every way. Physically, uh, financially, socially, and spiritually. First, her disease impacted her physically. In verse 43, Luke tells us that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, it was being, as uh, Luke was referring to her, to the menstrual flow of blood. Sisters, can you imagine this? One day her period started And then it didn't stop for 12 years. For 12 years, she bled continually. Can you imagine how weakened and how tired she must have been all the time? And how much pain and discomfort she was in all the time for 12 years. It's physically exhausting for a woman to be on her period for the regular duration of four to eight days. But this woman was on her period, not for 48 days, not for 12 days, but for 12 years. That's crazy. Second, her disease impacted her financially. In Mark's account of the story, he tells us that this woman spent all of her living, all of her finances, all of her money on doctors. She spent all her money chasing medical cures, but none of it worked. None of the doctors could help her. She didn't get better. In fact, she actually got worse. So not only did her condition worsen, but she lost everything. She was financially devastated, and now she was not only sick, but she was also poor with no money left. Third, her disease impacted her socially. According to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, her bleeding made her ceremonially unclean. Although her disease was not contagious, her uncleanness was. You see, if you touched her or if she touched you, you would become ceremonially unclean. And that means that you would have to go through a very inconvenient and elaborate purification process so that you can become clean again. So that means for the 12 years that she was unclean because of her bleeding, this woman had to live in social isolation. She had to socially distance from everyone she knew so that nobody could touch her and become unclean. Now, because of the current pandemic, I think we all personally know how hard it is and what an emotional toll it takes when you have to socially distance for an extended Period of time. Can you imagine that she didn't get a hug from a friend for 12 years? Fourth, her disease impacted her spiritually. According to Jewish custom and practice, the temple was closed to women during their menstrual period because they were ceremonially unclean because of their bleeding. And that means that this woman was not permitted to partake in any of the religious activities. You know the synagogue services that Jairus uh, organized? She wasn't allowed to go to those. She wasn't allowed to go to the temple services. She was not allowed to be in those places where God's covenantal presence was locally expressed and experienced, where God promised to be with them in the reading and the preaching of his word. And when his people gathered together for corporate prayer and worship, she wasn't allowed to be there. In other words, she wasn't able to go to church or to community group or to Bible study for 12 years. Can you imagine that? Now, this woman must have heard the stories about Jesus and how Jesus was able to heal sick people. Maybe she heard the story of how Jesus cleansed that leper. Maybe she heard the story of how Jesus uh, healed the paralyzed man. Or maybe she heard the story of how Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. Or maybe she even heard about how Jesus was able to cast out demons. Now, we don't know what she knew about Jesus, but she knew this. She believed that Jesus could heal her. And she was desperate to get to Jesus. But she had no way of getting to Jesus, right? Because of the crowd that surrounded Jesus. You see, if the crowd knew that she an unclean woman were in their midst, they would have gotten angry at her. They would have uh, chased her away because she might accidentally touch someone and make someone else unclean. Because of the people around Jesus, she couldn't even get to Jesus. And and then furthermore, even if she were somehow able to get to Jesus, would Jesus even want to heal and touch an unclean woman like herself that no one had touched for 12 years except for the doctors who she had to pay? So she hid herself. She hid her condition, and in the cover of the great crowd, she carefully made her way through the crowd, trying not to touch anyone, and she snuck up behind Jesus. And then she quietly and inconspicuously reached forward and touched the very fringe of Jesus' garment. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. She sensed the flow of blood stopped. Immediately and instantaneously, she was healed. And then she tried to sneak off before Jesus or anyone else uh, uh, knew what she had done or what had happened to her. But to her horror, Jesus stopped walking, turned around, and started asking, who touched me? Right? And she's just trying to blend in with the crowd, hide herself. And Peter, who was next to Jesus, said, that was a ridiculous question, Jesus, because everyone's touching you. Don't you see all these people around you? They're pressing in on you. Everyone's touching you. But Jesus insisted, saying, someone touched me, for I perceive power has gone out from me. Yes, hundreds of people had touched Jesus as he was walking by. But there was a special touch, the touch of faith that Jesus felt and, recognized. and when the woman realized that she couldn't keep it a secret any longer, she came forward trembling, and she fell on her knees before Jesus, just like Jairus did earlier. And according to verse 47, she declared in the presence of all the people, in the presence of all the people, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, there's so much to unpack here. First, um, why did Jesus ask who touched him? Did Jesus really not know? Of course he knew who, who touched him. Of course he knew who was healed. He's God. He knows everything. He can even read the minds of people. He knew. So why did Jesus ask who touched me? He wasn't asking for himself, for his benefit. He was asking for the benefit of this woman. You see, Jesus wanted to bring this woman out into the open because Jesus was not content to just heal her physically, restore her physically. He also wanted to restore her socially and spiritually. So it was necessary for everyone to know that she was healed of her disease. For now, she can go through the purification process according to the law, and she can now re-enter into community as a clean person. Finally, after 12 long and lonely years, she can be around people again. She can even touch and hug her friends again for the first time in 12 years, and nobody would become unclean because of her. And for that to happen, Everyone needed to know, all the people needed to know that she was not only cured, but that she was cleansed. And by making her publicly declare what Jesus had done for her, Jesus was announcing her healing and her cleansing to the whole world because now she was no longer unclean. She could visit people's homes, and she can go to the synagogue services that were organized by Jairus, and she can go back to the house of God again. And Jesus also wanted this woman to know that it was not her touch of Jesus that healed her, but it was her faith in Jesus that healed her and made her well. It was because she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It's because she believed that Jesus, as the Messiah, could heal the sick. That's why she was healed. And that's why Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith, not your touch, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Second, why did Jesus call this woman daughter? I don't know if you know this, but this is the only woman that we have in the Bible. This is the only woman that Jesus ever called daughter that we know of in the Bible. Why? Why did Jesus call this woman daughter? Do you realize that there are two daughters in this story? First, there was Jairus' daughter, And she had a loving father. Jairus' daughter was a beloved daughter. But there is another daughter in this story. This woman that Jesus healed was also a daughter. She was God's daughter. And she too had a father who loved her. She too was a beloved daughter. You see, this story of the woman's healing was not an interruption at all. It was planned all along. God the Father sent God the Son on this day to save not one daughter, but two daughters. Jairus' daughter and his daughter that he loved very much. This bleeding and suffering woman also had a father who loved her and who would do anything for her. And her Father in heaven would even send his own son Jesus into the world so that he could heal her at the cost of his own life. You see, in order to heal his bleeding daughter, God the Father sent Jesus to be the bleeding son. And her flow of blood could stop because one day on the cross Jesus' blood would flow for her and for everyone else who would believe in him. This woman is unnamed in the story, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a name. She had a name. She had the most precious name. Her name was daughter of god and now as a daughter of god she could attend synagogue services and temple worship services again and she could be in the presence of her loving father in heaven and she could have fellowship with her brothers and sisters in the family of jesus to which she now belonged by faith third and finally we get to the impossible You can imagine the roller coaster of emotions that Jairus must have experienced during this seeming interruption, during this time that Jesus was delayed from going to his house and getting to his daughter. First, Jairus must have been extremely frustrated uh, by what he perceived as an unwelcome uh, interruption and delay. I'm sure he wanted Jesus to get to his house as soon as possible because time was running out. And he must have been uh, so frustrated, even with Jesus, because he he seemed to be taking so much time, right, with this woman. Asking who who touched me. And then when he found out who the woman was, patiently listening to her story about uh, what was wrong with her, why he touched her, and uh, why she touched him, and what he did for her. Jesus was just patiently listening to this woman. Jairus is probably thinking, okay, 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 that's great, that's great. Right? Uh, uh, we're in a hurry here. Let's, let's, let's keep going because my daughter's about to die. How frustrated Jairus must have been because Jesus was taking his sweet old time. And second, yet, at the same time, Jairus must have been encouraged by the woman's testimony. She just declared that Jesus healed her of an incurable disease. And Jairus must have thought, wow, I guess Jesus really can heal people. Maybe he can heal my daughter too. And I'm sure hope was rising in his heart that Jesus might heal his daughter. And then third, just as Jesus was finishing up his conversation with this woman, a servant from Jairus' house comes and delivers the devastating news in verse 49. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Jairus' heart must have sank to his stomach. His worst fear had come true. His daughter was dead. It was too late now. What can Jesus do now? Now? And it was at that moment that Jesus looked at Jairus and said, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So what was it that Jairus was afraid of? What was Jairus fearing? You see, the whole time that Jesus was healing and spending time with this woman, Jairus was afraid. He was afraid that time was going to run out. He was afraid that Jesus wouldn't get to his daughter in time. He was afraid that his daughter would die. And his fear, his worst fear, came true because his daughter died. And it was at that moment when Jairus' fear was at its worst, when all hope was gone, that Jesus said, stop being afraid and start believing, and she will be well. You see, Jesus was asking Jairus to shift his focus from his daughter's death and to shift his focus to Jesus himself. You see, friends, the challenge of faith for Jairus, and for us, is this. Will we only believe what we think circumstances allow, or will we believe what Jesus declares is possible even when it seems impossible to us? You see, friends, it is at this moment that we realize that Jesus delayed on purpose. That's right he intentionally and purposely delayed. Now, one purpose uh, for the delay was to heal God's daughter. One good, glorious purpose. But the other purpose was to let Jairus' daughter die. It's as if Jesus intentionally kept engaging this woman, kept talking to this woman, until uh, Jairus' servant came with the bad news of his daughter's death. Then, and only then, does Jesus resume his journey to Jairus' house. You see, Jairus didn't know it, but Jesus was purposefully purposefully setting the stage to perform an even greater miracle. Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter, that Jesus could save his daughter from dying. But would Jairus go even further in his faith (laughs) would Jairus now believe that Jesus can not only heal the sick, but even raise the dead? Jesus was challenging Jairus to trust him, not just for a healing, but for a resurrection. So would Jairus believe Jesus, or would he doubt and disbelieve Jesus? That's the question. And we know that Jairus believed And how do we know that? Because Jairus continued the journey to his house. Jairus continuing the journey was an act of faith. It demonstrated that Jairus believed Jesus. He believed what Jesus said, and he believed that Jesus could make his daughter well, even though she was already dead. And when they finally got to Jairus' house, everyone was weeping and mourning because uh, the daughter was dead. But Jesus said— Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And the people laughed at Jesus because they knew that she was dead. But what they didn't know was this, that Jesus is the Lord over death. And what death is to people is like sleep to Jesus. For Jesus, the Lord over death, raising a dead girl is like waking up a sleeping daughter, a sleeping girl. So Jesus went into the room where the girl lay dead with her parents, along with Peter, James, and John. And Jesus took the girl by the hand and gently said, child, arise. And then her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. Jesus had brought back this dead little girl back to life. And her parents, of course, were amazed. Their weeping was turned to laughter as their dead daughter was restored to them as they got a foretaste of the kingdom of God when it comes in fullness, power, and glory. You see, friends, both the healing of the sick woman and the raising of the dead girl were signs. They were messianic and heavenly signs. First, there were messianic signs. There were signs that signaled that Jesus indeed is the promised Messiah. If you recall, back in chapter 7, uh, John the Baptist sent messengers to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus answered that question by by saying that he was doing the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. And some of the things that the the Messiah was going to do was to heal the sick and to raise the dead. You see, Jesus, by doing what Messiah was supposed to do, by healing the sick and raising the dead, he was publicly declaring and demonstrating that he was the promised Messiah. And one of the main goals of of Luke's gospel is to convince us so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Second, uh, there were also heavenly signs. They gave us us glimpses and previews and foretastes of what the kingdom of heaven will be like when it comes in fullness and power and glory at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The healing of the sick woman and the raising of the dead daughter were foretastes of the healing and restoration and the resurrection that is yet to come when Jesus returns. Through these two miracles, Jesus gave us a preview of what heaven is like. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no more disease, there will be no more COVID, no more masks, no more social distancing, no more cancer, and most of all, no more death. In the kingdom of heaven, everything wrong will be made right, everything broken will be restored, everything sad will become untrue, and everything will be the way it's supposed to be. But to heal this bleeding woman and to raise this dead girl would cost Jesus. By allowing this unclean woman to touch him and by touching the corpse of a dead girl, Jesus took their uncleanness. The power that left Jesus' body when he, when he healed the, the, the bleeding woman hinted at what it would cost Jesus to truly heal and save. Ultimately, in order to heal and to raise them, in order to take away their true uncleanness of sin, Jesus would have to give up his life for them. You see, at the end of Luke's gospel, we're going to see Jesus exchanging places with these two women. On the cross, it will be Jesus who bleeds. For it is only by the blood of Jesus that this bleeding woman can be healed and made clean. And so Jesus will bleed not for 12 years but until he dies until life leaves his body and for the girl to be raised jesus must die and it will be jesus who will need to be raised from the dead it will be jesus who will need to have it will be jesus who will need to hear his father say to him son arise for our sake god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the gospel. This is how much Jesus loves you. He bled for you, and he died for you, so that he can forgive you and make you truly clean. And when you die, when you die, Jesus will raise you up from the dead, and he will give you a new, perfect and resurrected body, and you will live with God and with all the redeemed people of God for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more sickness, no more disease, no more suffering, and no more death forever. So what? What's the takeaway for today? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to believe and to not be afraid. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Lord over all things, that he is the Lord over all the things that threaten to harm you. And because you believe that Jesus is the Lord over all things, that means that you have nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of anything in the physical realm because Jesus is the Lord over the the physical realm, and nothing in the physical realm, not even the worst storm, can truly harm you. And you don't have to fear anything in the spiritual realm either because Jesus is Lord over the spiritual realm. He won't let demons harm you. And you don't have to fear any kind of disease, whether it's COVID or cancer or any other sickness, because Jesus is Lord over disease and he won't let any disease truly harm you. And most of all, you don't have to be afraid of dying or death because Jesus is Lord over death and he will raise you up to eternal life after you die and you will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? That is our hope as Christians. Now, as we look forward to 2021, we don't know what to expect. I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect. You don't know what to expect. But we can do this. We don't have to be afraid. You see, Jesus is not, is not just Lord over the physical realm, the spiritual realm, and death and disease. He's also Lord over 2021. And that means that Jesus won't let anything happen to you in 2021 that can truly harm you. Now, that doesn't mean that 2021 will be an easier, comfortable year. 2021 will probably be a really hard year, just as 2020 was a really, really hard year for all of us. In fact, for many of us, this year was the worst year of our lives. But because Jesus is Lord over 2021, that means that everything that happens to you in 2021 will work together for your eternal and ultimate good, just as everything that happened in 2020 has worked and is working for our ultimate and eternal good. So Christ Central family, remember this today. Jesus is Lord, and he will keep you safe in and through all the things that you will suffer. And one day, the Lord Jesus will bring you safely home to his heavenly kingdom. Therefore, do not be afraid. Believe Jesus, and everything will be well. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Lord over all things and we can trust you and, and, and we believe you and you have promised that all will be well and we believe that joyfully. And